Welcome to the Unregulated Podcast by City AM. I'm Catchley Morrison. This week, Daniel Hegarty, the man trying to take the pain out of getting a mortgage. Lots of mortgage groupies, yeah. <laughs> you can imagine. You can imagine. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> Welcome to Unregulated, City AM's professional development podcast. We're bringing this episode to you from the pod studio at White City Place, courtesy of Huckletree, the digital lifestyle co-working space. Anyone who's gone through the house buying process will have an appreciation for someone trying to make it a little less unpleasant. That's exactly what Daniel Hegarty is doing with Habito, the free online mortgage broker he founded in 2015. He's also a former musician who saved the podcast today with his audio know-how. Welcome to the show, Daniel. You did not start out in business. You started out in the music business, um, as you've just kind of demonstrated, helping us out with our audio issues here. Can you talk us through your first job? Sure. So I somewhat stumbled into the music industry when I was 14. Um, I was in a little pretty terrible punk band that was sort of described as sub-placebo rubbish uh, by a... uh, (laughs) mainstream music publication, which was pleasing. But we uh, we got a record deal when I was very young, um, and I left school to pursue the uh, the dream of kind of moderate rock stardom, uh, which led to me spending about 10 years uh, playing in various bands and being a session musician before I then once again inadvertently stumbled into uh, the world of fintech. Just in case any of the listeners want to check out your stuff. What was the name of this This sub-placebo rubbish band? Brutally unfair. Um, The band was called Serum. Our first single was called Know How. Yeah, Serum is pretty good. Pretty cool name. Yeah. Well done. (laughs) We were very young. (laughs) It's still out there somewhere, I think. Well, I'm sure the listeners will be pleased to hear that. Um, So how did you make the transition into startups? Um, so I'd been living uh, on the west coast of the US um, for a few years, um, and I just uh, had moved back to the UK, um, having kind of sort of on my fourth appallingly unsuccessful band, um, and it kind of having lost faith with living on tour buses with men and uh, kind of making terrible pop music as a session musician. Um, and I came back, um, and I really I didn't have any qualifications, so I'd left school when I was 16, um, I wasn't sure I really wanted to make music anymore, um, and a good friend of mine uh, was a corporate lawyer by day and an opera singer by night. And I, she was the only real grown-up I knew, and I asked her if she might be able to help me get a job. And she introduced me to a couple of guys who's, who had just raised some money to start a business called Wonga. Um, and I then uh, spent seven years working at Wonga. So what exactly did you do for Wonga? Well, it was a startup, so I kind of, in the initial stages, you, you do whatever needs doing. So I worked in marketing, I worked in uh, analytics, um, I then, in the end, uh, worked in international. And I guess what I learned there was how to bring kind of technology and machine learning to consumer finance. Um, and I guess that's what kind of led me into the world of mortgages, was seeing what, what I saw as a, a kind of bigger, more complex problem that could be solved with a lot of the same tools. What kind of first sparked the... Like germ of an idea for Habito. So the uh, the idea originated from me and my uh, my then partner buying our first house together. Um, our broker made the application to the lender um, and included myself, my partner, and my partner again, suggesting that I was some kind of polygamist. This caused the application to be declined, um, which took about ten days. Um, 
realizing the error, the broker then resubmits our application, this time removing me completely and just <laughs> submitting my partner and my partner on the application. Again, declined, probably for reasons of uh, identity theft or similar. And eventually, after a month, we managed to get this application in. And it was... Um, we nearly lost the house because the, the people uh, who were selling it to us obviously thought that we were jokers or liars that couldn't get credit. Um, and it was, although kind of funny in the retelling at the time, this quite sort of disempowering and very unpleasant um, situation. And I definitely came out of it kind of with a bit of a bee in my bonnet, wondering how this industry functioned and how it all plugged together. Um, and wondering if there was an opportunity to kind of rebuild it, I guess, with the customer at the core of it. Could you tell us a bit about how it works exactly? Um, Yes. Well, it works tremendously. Um, so what it does is uh, effectively the customer comes onto our site. We um, we pull together every mortgage in the market. So we cover about 20,000 mortgages uh, from about 70 lenders. Um, in just sort of uh, maybe 30 seconds, we can give the uh, the customer an idea of the mortgage they could get, how much they could borrow, how much it would cost them. Um, and if they want to then proceed, we then use a like an AI chatbot uh, to give regulated mortgage advice to the customer. So again, that's 24-7 online, replaces the kind of 60-minute interview you'd be you know, having at the bank or the traditional mortgage broker. Um, and if the customer's happy with that, we can then apply for them again in real time and get them an agreement in principle with the lender there and then. That touches on something that I was quite interested in, the advice aspect of mm-hmm. applying for a mortgage. How do you do you think you can offer the same level of advice, basically, as a person that you supposedly can pick up the phone and call, though that's not usually the experience? So I think I think there's a couple of different things there. I think there are... Um, so there's often this kind of forced dichotomy of, like, machines versus humans in this. And I think... So we have human mortgage experts in the business. Obviously, all of our software is also built by humans. And I, I very much think that humans will remain part of these, like, big kind of fundamental financial transactions forever. Um, most, most kind of sensible people will want to speak to somebody at some point in this journey. However, mortgage advice is a pretty, like, stringently regulated. It's kind of a formula. And actually... In our perspective, and we spent quite a lot of time working with the regulator, with the FCA, on kind of designing this this algorithm to give this advice. We feel a lot more comfortable with a, an algorithm that's you know always the same, isn't working on commission, doesn't have any kind of moral hazards or incentives that might lead it to give the wrong advice, giving the kind of the, the basic understanding of your life events and suggesting the, the proper mortgage for you. And then we hand off to a human expert who, if you have any residual questions, you can go through and they'll also hold your hand all the way through to the end of the application. It's marketed, the business is marketed as being a free online mortgage broker. Mm-hmm. How, how do you make it free and how long will it remain free? Do you think? It'll remain free forever, I promise. I mean, it's on record now, so this is problematic. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> um, so all brokers uh, get paid by all lenders. Um, and kind of helpfully, actually, uh, the amount they get paid is about the same. So all brokers will get paid about a third of a percent of the value of a mortgage from all banks, which kind of removes some of the kind of more problematic incentives that might cause you to want to choose one lender over another. So that's great. Um, what brokers then do is the traditional brokers will then charge an extra fee on top of that to the consumer of between 250 and 500 pounds. We don't think that's right and we don't think it's necessary. Um, and I guess because we, we leverage technology to do a better job of this with fewer people, um, we don't have to charge that fee. What would your advice be for someone who has an idea and wants to start a business? Don't do it. Just don't. Avoid it at all costs. It's miserable. You end up in... Anyway, <laughs> it's very, very hard work. Um, I think, so I think, like, the truth is, is that 
the idea they've come up with, someone else has probably already come up with, and I'm, you know, I'm certain that's the true of our business. I fundamentally believe these, these things come down completely to commitment and execution. Like you have to be willing to make real sacrifices um, and to be extremely good at every component of what, what it is that you want to do. Um, but beyond that, like, I don't know, for me personally, like I can't imagine doing another job. Um, I kind of feel like I was asleep for most of my life until I got to doing this. Um, so I'd highly recommend it, but it is, it's not trivial and you definitely require some fortitude uh, to be getting on with it. And how did you go about funding the business? So initially I had my kind of crazy idea and had been kind of sitting in my pants on my sofa for a few months thinking like being made up CEO of my made up business um, and I decided it was time to go and uh, raise some money so I could hire my first employees and also begin the process of getting all the licenses required to be a mortgage intermediary. Um, so I went to a couple of angels that I knew um, from being in, in the fintech kind of part of the industry for the last seven years who and raised my first I think it was about a quarter of a million dollars, so enough to pay a few salaries for for a little while. We then uh, sat at my kitchen table for six months and kind of designed this thing from the ground up. Um, and then with our prototype in hand, we then went off and uh, visited our first venture capitalist, um, who, in retrospect, like madness to invest. Like literally, it was like three guys, kitchen table, going to like transform the mortgage industry. It makes no sense. Um, but I guess to their credit and to our good luck, they, they kind of saw the potential of what we were trying to do and, and jumped on board. And then once the ball starts rolling, it becomes much, much easier. But I think with the venture capital thing, I think there's a couple of truisms. Like it's got to be a big market, like in a big problem you're trying to solve. Like they're not, you know, the, the, the economics of their funds don't really work if it's just if you're trying to solve a little point problem in one corner of the world. Um, and I think, yeah, and I think that, you know, there's there's a big focus on the, the kind of commitment and the belief of the entrepreneur and whether, like, you've experienced this customer problem yourself and have a really good idea about how to solve it. Because I think, you know, when you're... I've seen quite a few of these pitch decks flying through and you can tell that there's, you know, they've looked at the smallest board of potential business ideas and picked the one that they like best, but actually there's not really much fundamental kind of guts or heart in the, in the product they're trying to build. And I think VCs are actually pretty good at spotting that. So I would definitely say if you're, if you're fundraising, make sure that you really care about the thing you're trying to raise money for. So how do you choose which VCs to go for? So it's a good question, a very difficult question, because the truth is, is like you never know anything about anybody you're in business with until you hit the rough patches. Um, so I think like a lot of it comes down to gut and chemistry. Like if you believe the guy on the opposite side, or girl, sadly, not often as, as often as you would like. Um, if you believe that they're kind of fundamentally have like the right stuff at their core, um, and also if they've got a good track record of, of other businesses, and the, the one th- the one good thing about this is uh, VCs are extraordinarily reputationally sensitive. Like everybody wants to be the cool guy who's friends with the entrepreneurs. So actually, the uh, if if kind of problematic things do happen, like they tend to be pretty publicly known pretty quickly. But it's uh, not, and you know, I'm. Like, I'm not a VC, and, and, you know, they can be as problematic as anybody else. But um, I think, actually, the the ecosystem in London is pretty great at the moment, and in Europe more broadly. There's some really good guys who are trying to do the right thing by businesses. Do you think Brexit's going to have any impact on that? I think it's already had a bit. um, Given that there was a fair amount of money coming from Europe into some of the seed funds um, from the, I think it's the European Investment Fund, who have now cut off that funding. So I think we'll see a few of the really early-stage funds disappear um, over the next six, next six months, which is a real shame. Um, but ultimately, no. I think we've just had a, a bumper quarter of, of funding and it'll, it'll continue. Do you think there's something in the fact that you didn't start out in business that has helped you? Or do you sometimes think, if I'd 
done a business degree or something like that, I might be able to deal with these problems um, in a better way. I don't know. So I, I was always like quite a, an awkward child who kind of wanted to learn at my own pace and do whatever it is I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. So I'm not, the truth is I can't imagine I ever would have managed to sit through a business studies degree. Um, so no, I don't, I definitely don't feel like it's held me back at all. And I think certainly it's kind of maybe left me with an openness to wilder ideas and certainly wilder people working within the business. Not, you know, not everybody has to be Oxbridge and have an MBA, which if you look at some other fintech startups, you'll see a quite a homogenous culture. So no, I think it's been beneficial in that regard. And I think also the kind of the hectic schizophrenic nature of startup life often actually really reminds me of being in bands, you know, kind of small groups of people with completely unrealistic ideas. But instead of record companies, you've got venture capitalists. And yeah, there's something quite familiar to, to the whole thing. And lots of groupies. Lots of mortgage groupies. Yeah, <laughs> you can imagine. You can imagine. It's pretty crazy. Between mortgages and Wonga, you do seem to have got most of your experience in perhaps uh, aspects of the finance world that aren't so popular, is how I would put it delicately. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think, is there a reason? Do you think that's a conscious thing that you've done? Is it more interesting? No, I think so. the honest truth is... Uh, Kind of, I didn't really choose Wonga. Wonga chose me. Like if it had been McDonald's that offered me a job, I would have taken that job just as it, with as much excitement. Um, so I definitely, I definitely kind of stumbled into that. But no, I think I think mortgage is an interesting one because often people ask me, well, why, why is it only now? Why not before? And I think the truth is, is it's there was a lot more low hanging fruit like international money transfers or. Uh, current accounts. I think there are a lot of things that are a lot easier and less kind of hairy to attack than mortgage. And I think it's only because we're kind of everyone's running out of ideas that we're finally getting onto the really difficult stuff like setting up banks from scratch or fixing the mortgage industry. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think I was definitely attracted by a complex problem that I thought there was an opportunity to solve with technology. But um, but no, I don't. There's, I'm not I'm not a contrarian looking for an awful industry. <laughs> <laughs> not a punk when it comes to business. No, p- punk rock mortgages. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty depressing thought. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on from there. <laughs> uh, if you had, um, if you had someone in front of you who was just about to start climbing up the property ladder, what's your advice? Um, I think uh, I think it's an excellent idea. I think the market is um, is an interesting position. I think the house price is definitely a softening. Um, there's a lot of good products out there in the world um, to be to be got. I think you probably want to use an extremely reputable and technology enabled mortgage broker. I could probably suggest one to you, maybe one more off air for appropriateness. Um, I think I think the key thing though that it comes down to is really like mortgages are all the same. There's the only difference between mortgages is basically the cost and and whether you're eligible for them and what comes first is, is the deposit. So I think it's making a series of sensible financial decisions over the next couple of years that allow you to amass enough money to pay to put that deposit down and pay the exorbitant stamp duty that's going to come with it. Finally, what changes would you like to see in government housing policy? So in the wider, what what can be done to make the housing market better? So I think there's been some really good stuff over the last few years. I think um, had to buy um, was a really, really, really positive step in the right direction. I think a broadening of that scheme to allow kind of a wider gamut of properties um, to be brought into it, um, and perhaps kind of we run into a lot of trouble generally. And this is the, the like human finances are very granular, and somebody who's self-employed looks completely different to someone who's uh, in full-time employment. And and often the the lenders and the government will you know use pretty broad criteria that excludes a lot of people who are earning good salaries regularly. So I would I guess for me. The extension of help to buy both in terms of property but also in the in the customer eligibility itself is, is a, an important next step. All right, well, thanks very much. Pleasure. Thank you for having me.
Well, that's it for this week. Follow us on Twitter on at UnregulatedPod for updates and let us know if you've got any tips for surviving the murky world of mortgages. With thanks to Daniel, Emma, who was producing this week, and Huckletree and White City Place, this has been the Unregulated Podcast. Rain warm out of me cause there's just no more thoughts to go and ponder. Chew my lip down to the bone.